so so back in the seventies, um, you right. and uh, so, so I really don't know the history of of Chaosium. So okay. so well, what happened? Like, were you guys playing D anD D and said, "Wait a minute, we can do better than this"? To some extent, yes. But what happened was uh, Greg Stafford was the sole sole employee and proprietor of the Chaosium to begin with. And he came up with a board game based on fiction he tried to write and couldn't get together. So he put together the game to sort of give him some insight on what the fiction he was writing. Uh, and uh, the board game is called White Bear Red Moon. And I think there's a new edition of White Bear Red Moon uh, coming. Somebody, Somebody's doing it. Greg, unfortunately, uh, died about three years ago. Right. Four years ago. Um, uh, but, uh, he, um, he was living at the time in Oakland, just a couple of blocks from the Oakland Coliseum and things being in the usual situation they are when you've got one person trying to hold down, uh, possibly just some jobs, a, a wife, a small child, and, uh, People yelling their heads off just two blocks away inside the chaosium. So it sounds very <laughs> much like So um, that was the chaosium. It came out with Bear Red Moon. This was about the same time, just slightly after when D&D came out. He was unaware of D&D at the time. Uh, he went to some of the same parties that people I played D&D with went to. So... Uh, Things along, and he he dropped by our regular game uh, once anyway, uh, and uh, uh, he got interested in it. And decided he needed a role playing game to uh, expand what he had done with the White Bear Red Moon game, uh, and he got a couple of of other people fans of the Pipe Red Moon game to do the uh, to work on it and uh, he wasn't terribly thrilled with how fast things were moving so he asked me and a friend of mine named Clint Bigglestone to uh, drop by and see the game and see what's happening and this sparked something in me and I just went to town on it so to the extent yeah only the, one of the original people but back then there wasn't like this was like we're talking really brand new with the RPGs right so there's not any industry right. leaders Basically, so so what oh, like, no, no, no. There's, there's an industry leader D&D was the industry leader right but I mean it wasn't like we have now where we have all these different people out there but this is pretty fresh so how did he right. like just say to look at you it's like Steve you have the insight. So what was it back then? Cause there was no, you know, people with previous experience in this sort of stuff. Right. Well, basically you had D and D, uh, tunnels and trolls and chivalry and sorcery. First thing I wanted to do was to get away from the such and such. Right. Uh, thing. And, uh, Greg, as one of the interesting innovations in his board game, had used a rune system to tell you what the piece was. 
So you had to know that's a mastery rune and that's a magic rune and that's a movement rune. So this is a magician unit that specializes in getting places. Okay. Uh, he abandoned that. The second, the second edition of White Bear Red Moon, which I think actually came out of a box instead of an envelope, uh, uh, had more or less standard uh, markings for uh, the units. So you know, that's cavalry, that's infantry, and so forth. Uh, but anyway, but he had this whole set of runes, which represented, uh, to some extent, the uh, the various gods of the world. So I uh, I took that took that rune, and figured, well, okay, we're all adventurers going for something. We're questing, put rune quests together, ah. and there you had the thing. And for 40 years, people were saying, yes, but what is a rune quest? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you, uh, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> it sounded good. Uh, but now, now the current edition of the game, the rune quest uh, role-playing in Glorantha, uh, really tells you what the runes are and how important the runes are. The runes have become a lot more important in the game. And uh, I, I think it's very cool. I, yeah. I've written scenarios for them, and I've got another scenario waiting for me to write that have been published. Yeah, so so what's kind of interesting is you, you – know, so there was D&D using the D20 plus the various odd dice. Uh, then there was Traveler using 2D6 or multiple right, D6s. Yeah. yeah. And Tunnel Schools used – D6s. So, but you decided to go with a percentile, right? Yeah. That was actually inspired by D&D because this was very early in D&D's uh, uh, history and they had just come out with the thief class. Yeah. Which had percentage abilities to accomplish various skills. Right. Like picking pockets and moving quietly and so forth. And uh, in fact, the guys, that was one of the innovations that the guys who were working on it before me came up with, which is everybody uses percentage. Use percentage to fight with, use percentage to throw magic with. So it wasn't really uh, settled yet as to exactly how you use this percentage. A lot of that was me. Uh, but um, that was how, that was how, that's how the percentages came in. Yeah, I think what, um, what's interesting about it, because it took it away from, so D&D really didn't have skills in it, but with RuneQuest, it, it broke down to having skills, a lot of skills, right? Everybody had a skill, yes. Uh, originally, uh, the guys who, again, who started had three character classes, uh, fighters, mages, and thieves, and, uh, and they were attempting to get to a rune because, you know, uh, even before I came up with the rune quest name, the runes were part of it. But basically, it's when you got to 100%, you became, if you were a fighter, a rune lord. If you were a magician, you became a rune priest. And if you were a thief, you were a, uh, we were still trying to think of a name, merchant, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, we instead got rid of the character classes and the levels, things like that. One of my innovations. Yeah, because I think, you know, yeah, because I think like with Traveler, they, they there was only archetypes in the beginning, 
But you just did away with entirely without saying you have to be anything. If you want to be something, you right. just pick the skills that you want. Right. You figured just the uh, experience of the game would tell you what you became. Right. Because there was, if you tried, if you tried to drop my mouse here, uh, if you tried to um, be everything to everybody, you'd be down here at 35% while you've got, you know, 100% fighters and so forth. It's going to be down your neck. So um, you had to specialize somewhere along the way. But it was integral to the game rather than an imposed leveling system. Yeah, because I think a lot of the stuff, like with fighters, it was just kind of, I guess, in Magic users, those skills were just automatically kind of baked into the class without really separating it out. And so I think it wasn't quite right. so obvious, but by, by breaking it out, I think it's, it, it definitely yeah. allows a lot more variation without creating more complication. Right. And uh, I've only recently come to a, uh, a realization. I was playing some D&D games, uh, a fourth edition game and a Pathfinder game. Uh, and it occurred to me that basically when you leveled up in those games now, anyway, you get stuff. Just, you know, mana rains from heaven and you right. get <laughs> things. Uh, whereas uh, the RuneQuest style and so forth, you don't necessarily get stuff. If you do, that's nice. Uh, but mostly you get better. And it's a, it's a simpler thing to keep track of. Right. And uh, you don't, you know, you're better because you've got a better percentage than that person does. Well, I think what also so, makes it nice is that D and D, I think, was more grounded in a in a war game. Yeah. Whereas RuneQuest was where I think RuneQuest is actually grounded in in uh, Greg's uh, fiction. Right. And he tried to create mythology. So I think in, in that aspect, I think the way you go about doing things is drastically different. Yeah. Uh, among other things, uh, for White Bear, Red Moon, uh, the gods, the gods are very important. Uh, so initial magic was clerical magic. You had uh, what came to be called battle magic, which is uh, the, the simple stuff you toss off in the middle of a fight and you had rune magic which came down from the gods and did things like obliterate people and so forth yeah and it seemed like i think if i recall correctly the uh the setting was in some ways both more magical than than say like greyhawk but on the other hand because i think everybody had access to just even very low levels of magic exactly but it didn't turn yeah. into this necessarily the same type of um with D D with the combat spells the same way it actually is more organic right. in the way yeah. it feels yeah the, the way the spells that could do the really massive damage like D D with the rune was the rune magic you call down a, a spear of light from the sun to go shoot fry some people uh and we also besides getting rid of levels uh, and experience points uh, there, there is no ex experience points in, in RuneQuest. Uh, you just get better. Then you, uh, there's a 
role hot role uh, role percentage system to get better uh, based on how good you are already. Yeah, it's also based on what you've done during that session. So do you have to like use a skill in order to improve a skill? Different styles of play sometimes. Okay. Uh, but uh, one of the things I tossed in there, which is still in the game, although not in, as uh, dominant, is the ability to just go over here and pay so many silver pieces and become 5% better. Basically training. Right. And the higher you wanted to be, the longer the training took and the more expensive it was. Right. Uh, and that was a major part of the early game. Not so much these days. Mostly it's a straight experience role. Yeah. There is still possible. And it makes still sense. Possible to go on. Oh, that's good. Because I think it makes sense is like, you know, the idea of training, you should be able to get better, especially at, even if you'd say maybe not later levels, but at least early levels, there's no reason why somebody couldn't just get some some training to, to, to gain a base knowledge of something. Exactly. And one of the, the the initial things in the initial game that I changed was uh, they were still working on my experience points and levels. So they were going, you paid, you had to pay so much gold to get uh, a commensurate experience point or commensurate uh yeah experience points that you could then go and and spend to raise your character up whether i said why why do we have experience points at all just got rid of that right. yeah spent your gold anywhere you wanted to well the thing is you know that i think experience points at least the way it was done early on led to like bizarre behavior. Cause we're, you know, we're economically driven animals. Humans are, and we're trying. <laughs> so, we, so like, for instance, we, the way we played D and D was the person that killed the monster got all the XP. Right. But the wizard almost could early levels couldn't kill anything. So the fighters would fight, get it almost dead, try not to kill it, then back off. And so that the wizard could throw a dagger at it and kill it and get the XP. <laughs> but it's like that's right. bizarre behavior. It, it, but the mechanics drove, you know, a story in a way that didn't make sense. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things we try to avoid. Yeah. So I think that, you know, once you take that away and you say, you know what, if it's important to you, you know, at the after three or four sessions, you guys can train. Okay. Or if you really want to do something, you better start doing it in game. If you really, you want to try climbing walls, you know, you don't have a bunch of climb walls, try climbing some walls and make a count in the game and then we'll maybe look at an improvement. So that actually drives the story more than as a character saying, I want to improve on something. They actually start doing things that actually make sense. Right. Rather than saying, I chop up monsters. Now I'm better at picking locks. Right. Uh, I back I backstabbed the, the king of the rats and so on. <laughs> Better than climbing like a rat. Or something. Uh, I uh, we just run into that in the uh, RuneQuest game I'm playing online. Where uh, it's sort of okay, you've got two weeks. People are going okay. Uh, I want to learn a new spell. Okay, that takes a week. Oh, okay. Uh, 
You learned two new spells, so I guess you're two, two weeks of taking care of. What do you want to do? And uh, and training takes time. So you need uh, to... Uh, so you got to take a week a week to train to get your training up because there's lots of things, particularly knowledge, skills, and so forth, that you can't get through experience. Right. You've got to train. You've got to train for knowledge. So, so you got to find the teacher and sit down and hit the books. Something you're literate, which is not necessarily the case. Yeah, and I would say even like if maybe you want to even go a higher level, like if you want to be a higher level fighter, it's like you're going to have to find a fighter better than you. you know, exactly. You know, you can't just have any any schlub with a with a sword teaching you now. You better you need to go seek out. You know. Yes. Yeah, the greatest swordsman in France, <laughs> except for his teacher. Yeah, I think that it, in those types of things yeah. also lead to to good storylines and hooks for the GM for the for the characters too. Right. So, uh, but yeah, uh, the hard and fast rule is basically if you're seventy five percent or better, uh, get those get that experience working because you're not going to get trained for it. Right. Nobody is good enough is that much better than you are that you'll learn. So with Greg Stafford, you, so you, you went through the fiction, you've got some mechanics and then you're trying to get the mechanics to kind of jive with the world that he's created. But is, was there an opposite effect where the mechanics also started forming the world? Oh yeah. Um, Concepts like rune lords and rune priests and so forth got into the hierarchy, uh, got into the the world as such. And of course, there were just things that we needed for a game that were not in Greg's fiction. Uh, for instance, we have uh, trolls as, as a main adversarial race. Uh, but not necessarily. Everybody can be talked to. Uh, and the uh, but the trolls were roughly human and stronger, and we needed something kobold, gremlin or not gremlin, goblin uh, style thing. So we came up with the trollkin. And the great curse that had been laid on the troll race, which is why they hadn't taken over the world, which is most of their uh, litters, so we say, produce trollkin, who are essentially goblinoid. Okay. So, uh, and are very much a uh, dis- despised even amongst the trolls. Uh, and so they became uh, uh, the cannon fodder critters. And uh, we also had the innovation, which tends to be brought up anytime someone's talking about requests, which were ducks. 
And what happened was uh, Neville Stocken of Heritage Miniatures, I believe Neville is in fact still around. Anyway, he had this unfortunate habit of looking at somebody else's intellectual property and saying, I can make a miniature of that. He got in trouble with uh, 20th Century Fox, I guess, was the original Star Wars studio. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he came up with Darth Vader and Stormtrooper figures. <laughs> George Lucas came along and said, oh, hey, those are good. That's absolutely good. Blossom took him to uh, 20th Century Fox and said, hey, look at this. We should, I wish 20th Century Fox hit the roof because, of course, that's a licensing. So um, a comic book called uh, Howard the Duck came out. Oh. And almost instantly there were, uh, on the racks, figure racks, was the barbarian duck and his old lady which was almost uh, point for point the cover of Howard the Duck. You had the barbarian duck yeah. and a scantily clad female, which was not wrapped around his legs like the cover, but just, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to. Oh, that's that. fine. You're a popular dude. I am. <laughs> We've got popular money, which is a good trick. <laughs> Scheme writers don't get nothing. Uh, I've often said that uh, during my 20s and 30s and into my 40s, I was basically uh, earning retirement income, which is to say, retired, retired people need to. <laughs> so now that I'm like 75, I got to keep working. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're you're still working on some really, fun projects, though. Huh? You're still working on, but you're working on fun projects. So I guess there's a little bit of uh, right, yeah. of solace in that. Because yeah. because I mean it's you know I think Greg was very prolific in his writing. I think one of the things that's probably held me back more recently from RuneQuest is just I think with a lot of things there's just so much background information. You know it's it's right. And there's an awful lot because for one, thing, one reason or another, uh, RuneQuest was sold to Avalon Hill. Avalon Hill had no idea what to do with with a role playing uh, license, uh, and uh, but TSR bought Avalon Hill, so TSR had the RuneQuest name. Couldn't do anything with it. So Greg started a new company uh, and uh, came out with Hero, first Hero Wars and then Hero Quest, which is sort of like the next level of, you know, past all the Rune Lord stuff right. up to the, the great heroes. Uh, but it's... Um, Uh, it's kind of kind of the next step, and and an awful lot of Glorantha got extricated in support material for that. But uh, when the time came and the Chaosium needed 
a uh, fresh blood. Uh, first, Greg took it back over again and promptly had a heart attack. So he turned it over to Rick Mates, who assisted him with the, uh, I have it right here. I can fix it up. Can you get that at all? Oh, yeah. The guide to Miranda. Two extremely thick books. Yeah. <laughs> They're tomes. Um, and that kind of got a lot of people moving on it again. So as we went into the 21st century, Rick and various other people uh, managed to get the RuneQuest name. <coughs> Rick got that back, promptly let Mongoose uh, do it, uh, use it, which was for relatively, not, not really successfully. Uh, and then uh, Rick and his friends, uh, Moon something, Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, got it. And, uh, and they're very Glorantha-oriented people. So they decided, let's get it back to the roots. And RuneQuest will play in Glorantha. So Glorantha is now the world to play uh, RuneQuest in. So did it? There was always, always a fight, even amongst those of us who put on, between those who wanted to just keep it to Glorantha and those who wanted to try to make it a generic role-playing game to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with D&D, &D, which did not work. No, I think, right, at that point, I think when you, when you, because that was the thing that made it, well, not the only thing that made it unique, but it's definitely was one of the many things that just, I think, once you start, you know, separating that part out, I mean, it's kind of intertwined, I think, the way you, I mean, you obviously designed it around Glorantha, you know, the right. fiction, so it seems like they kind of just grew together and trying to, like say, to extricate one Kind of just damages the whole organism in a way. Yeah, I didn't finish the next uh, film, but I did not finish the, the duck story. Uh, basically, Marvel lawyers started knocking on Neville's door, saying, "No, you cannot use our intellectual property for this." And Neville came to Greg, and Neville had already done a bunch of Marantha stuff, which, unlike other people, we welcome. Uh, and said, you got to give me a reason for the, for ducks and Glorantha. And at the time, we were going, you know, we really need a, we really need a kind of a Hobbit-like, but not Hobbit. A, I'm getting uh, sued. Can you just put this in Glorantha somewhere? I'm getting sued. Pretty much. Uh, as far as I know, I never, I was not there for those particular conversations. Don't you wish you were? I, I would have loved to heard the, the, the initial, you know, leading sentence. I'm getting sued. Help me. <laughs> uh, so basically, ducks became an integral part of RuneQuest. But that's, I mean, I, I think that's probably what either people, I, I imagine people are on two sides of that. You know, either love the ducks or hate the ducks. There's probably no middle ground, right? Too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's funny, but here's what I find interesting. So Greg was like, you know what? I've got this whole mythology figured out. I've got these these races figured out. I got these nations. I've got this history figured out. He's got this all done. It's almost like somebody came up to J.R. Tolkien right in the middle of you know writing the Two Towers. Says, "Can you put a duck in there?" Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Running in from the forest, friend, friend of the ant, through the trees. Yeah. 
No. <laughs> Not just one deck. We want a race of decks. That's it. Yeah. Well, that started also because one of the uh, artists on the original White Bear Red Moon, well, he was playing playtesting it. It was like City 1, City 2, City 3, City 4. That was not going to do for something he was actually publishing. Right. And he had the artists name the various towns. And some of it was very simple. The artist named Steve Swinston got Swinstown. Okay. <laughs> one of them, and I forget which one, uh, said, okay, that one is Duckburg. Uh, Greg, having a little better idea of what intellectual property means, uh, decided to change that to Duck Point. So we already had ducks on the map. Okay, so it's like it, in probably the back of his mind, it, it was it was there. Then once once the guy said, yeah. "I need I need I need to put ducks in your game," then all of a sudden, like now I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was meant to be. The zeitgeist has decided. I didn't. <laughs> yep. So anyway, that was the uh, that was why there's ducks in request, uh, and as they've, they've become an an integral part of, of the, uh, the world. The uh, playing group I'm playing with uh, these days, one of the one of the characters is a duck, uh, a Humacti duck. Humac is the god of death and war, uh, <laughs> which also fits because surrounding Duck Point is the marsh, and the marsh has Delecti, uh, the, the Necromancer are in it, and he's always bringing up armies of zombies and so forth. So the, the Ducks of Duck Point got really used to fighting oh, zombies. That makes sense. Yeah, and so and a lot of them. Therefore, follow Humact, who's a no nonsense, dead is dead. You should, bodies should not be walking around because they're dead, damn it. Right. Keep them the ground or burn them up because they shouldn't be walking around. So, Humact is very anti undead. So, uh, and his symbol is the cross, or, well, actually, a cross hilted sword, but, you know, it works out. <laughs> yes. It's, but, so it's kind of interesting. So, so it, it appears that Greg was pretty much open to a lot of different things, even though he did have yeah. his his property or his stuff mapped right. out. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of stuff got added because somebody said, "Well, wouldn't it be cool if you know, like all these bronze weapons?" But you know, we're mining bronze. You don't mine bronze; you melt it together. Uh, and it's, oh well, you know. Bronze is the bones of the gods that died during the God War. Oh, that's okay. Neat. You know, I think a lot of ways, you know, we apply our modern way of thinking to the old, uh, to these like fantasy worlds, you know, uh -huh. and it's kind of silly, like why we do that. Why can't we just make it much more interesting? Yeah, but, you know, basically everybody starts with what is really important to them. Now, I'm a founding member of the Society for Creative Anachronism. I am a sword and shield fighter. Was. I'm sure I get killed instantly yeah. getting out the field now. Uh, but, so there you have uh, 
my basic attitude was, let's make the combat really uh, authentic. So that's what we did. Yeah, well. And then the magic systems and so forth that piled on. Yeah, because you really have pairing rules. I'm sorry? You have uh, oh, pairing. pairing rules. Oh, yeah. So that, which isn't in D&D. Right. Yeah, or, and for that matter, armor stops damage. Period. Uh, which is starting to show up in D&D the various D&D clones at this point have, you know, well, you've got your armor, and then you've got your resistance in the armor. And you, resistance is always there and always attracts. So various uh, rune quest things have trickled over to D&D at one point or another. Yeah, and it, I, it's, it's kind of interesting is, is, you know, we kind of think of D&D being this monolith that kind of generates their own, but you're right. There's a lot of things that later editions, you know, was informed by other things. Like you know, I think 3.5 or 3.0 was influenced by magic, the gathering fourth edition by video games, you know, fifth edition. I think they started looking at not only what they've done in the past, but there's some, some indie games that kind of folded into a little bit here and there. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, RuneQuest uses no uh, six out of the seven attributes, or no, five out of the six basic attributes of D&D transfer over to RuneQuest. Just right. The spread's pretty much the same. Yeah, because that's that was the model at the time. Uh, uh, but, e- but even systems like the hero system, even though it doesn't do that, still their normal range is up to 20. The D&D range, yeah, right. Because I think it's just so ingrained as being that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, you, you get something like Traveler, which has got a different range, and you're going, but, but you know, <laughs> how could this be? Then, <laughs> <laughs> of course, you get later systems where the characteristics were, I think, uh, strength, social level, and uh, there were three, I can't remember. Maybe size. Yeah, size. And that's everything. Right. Uh, everything else is either special skills or just role played out. That was uh, Dennis Astaire's Sword Quest, which is a very interesting system and uh, worth worth looking at. Hmm. As for that matter, is is this is Bunnies and Burrows. Uh, yeah, I've never, I've never played it. I'm sure it's, it's, it's that was kind of based off of the um, Watership Down. Yeah, so it's got that same kind of depressing <laughs> mechanic or, or or vibe or. I don't know. Watership Down isn't necessarily depressing. Read it all the way through. Uh, I think most people just yeah. were scarred because their parents thought it was a cartoon, and when they were children, they they watched it and saw these terrible things. Thinking they were going to see a Bambi movie. You're talking about the movie, yeah. That, that, <laughs> I mean, there come the dogs. 
But um, yeah, there was uh, Bunnies and Burrows came up to a request, and uh, there was something there we really liked, and we put it into request. No idea what it was at this point. <laughs> I think it had something to do with the skill system, or perhaps uh, alchemy, or something. I don't know, but it was. Uh, we like a RuneQuest was often called one of the best <clears throat> researched, but you had to have that clearing of the throat. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Research <laughs> games out there. So, and one of the other major things that we did not do is there's no accumulation of hits. What you start with is what you got. Yeah, I pretty much appreciate that. After, after situations where here's our, oh, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh, seven fighters, and we're going through the forest. 20 bandits step out, draw their bows and say, stand. And we go, yeah, right. They keep moving. And they, you know, shoot arrows at us. And some of them get, we go out of the forest with five or six hit points. Go, yeah, big deal. Right. Out of, out of 50 or 60, you know. <laughs> Come on. And uh, in RuneQuest, if you, somebody gets you real good with an arrow, you're gone. Yeah, somebody was saying that they they started up. Uh, there's a podcast. They're from Britain, and uh, or from England. They uh, talked about how they started up again, and I think they had some people playing who hadn't played before. I think there was these was it fire newts, so they very low level creatures with slings. Uh huh. And uh, I, I I guess the people who never played RuneQuest before was wanting to fight them. The people who had played it before was getting up in the trees because they could hit it 100% with those sling stones. <laughs> and they knew, they knew you didn't want to mess with those sling stones. You may think they're not bad, but they'll take out your knees really quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've run into people who uh, refer to RuneQuest as LimQuest. <laughs> because People are always losing arms and legs and so forth. Yeah, and I think that's even spilled over that. to games like, uh, I don't know if you've ever played Aftermath, a post-apocalyptic no, game. But I know they, they, they use a lot of our systems, yeah. Yeah, so they, they had, I think, you know, you'd roll for a limb location. You could, you could you know, that similar thing. So, but yeah, I and think. I was, I was at a, a dinner at a game convention once, and I was talking to a couple of people who were then working on uh, Aftermath. And they basically just said, yeah, we use the same skill system as Call of Cthulhu, which is <laughs> yes. the same system as Request. Yeah, they, it just works. they, well, the problem is, you know, there's some things they did right, but it's, it is kind of a mess of a, of a system. So it's like. Yeah, and I think it's gone through at least three, three revisions. Yeah, I, it's. I, it, I never played it. There was a time in my early life when I, Hunted down post-apocalyptic uh, novels like crazy and devoured them, and then got. You know what I'm talking about here is things where people drop atomic bombs on me. <laughs> oh, never mind. I don't think I. I don't think I want to be reminded of that anymore. No, and, and I think fortunately for younger people, they just they, they'll never know what it was like. But it was pretty bad. Yeah. Because you'd watch Red Dawn. I mean, you can watch Red Dawn now and be like, oh, isn't that cute? But we watch Red Dawn, it's like, in the back of our minds, we're all thinking that that could potentially happen. You right. know, it just was, 
And uh, so anyway, yeah, that was a pretty crazy time. So I think it seems like to me that, you know, early on with D&D, RuneQuest, there's just some really solid systems, but it seems like there was a period where people tried building or changing those and it may not have worked quite so well. So it doesn't seem yeah. quite as solid as, as some of the earlier systems. Right. And, you know, some, some people came up with stuff that was, uh, oh, why didn't we think of that? Well, we've thought of it now. Well, that's just it. I mean, because it was early on and, and people for role-playing games are still inventing really new groundbreaking things, but, you know, but you didn't yeah. have anything much to go on. I mean, you know, we're talking the early seventies, maybe even early eighties. There's a lot of people putting stuff out, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to kind of think outside that, that box while you're, while you're building stuff. It's, it's, you know, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we are um, just sort of seeing what's been done and trying to build on that, trying to, uh, Get away from some of the uh, of the perceived faults, like like uh, character classes, levels, and hit points, was stuff I just did not uh, go for. And uh, a bunch of bandits with bows are a problem. Thank yeah, very much. I think the thing is, is and I those are the types of systems I appreciate. Not like a, like you mentioned, where in, maybe in D anD D, some of these others, you you do this mental calculus, and you're like. I can fight this hill giant. I'll, I'll probably, you know, it might be a little tough, but I should wind up on top, you know, 75% of the time where really it should be like, I could take him out maybe if I survive long enough, but all it takes is one hit from that ax and I'm done for. Do I really yeah. want to go through that? Probably not. Maybe I'll just, maybe what I'll just try and do instead is just talk to him. <laughs> maybe I can change his mind, maybe bribe him or, or sneak or something else where it seems like the, right. the impetus for D and D is always combat is the intent. And, uh, I think one of the best stories on that same idea with the, the, the newts and the slingstones, uh, some friends of mine were playing RuneQuest and they had a couple of new people in who were, uh, D and D players. Had to play RuneQuest. And they're trudging along a mountain trail and Somebody sees a wyvern fly by, and one of the D and D guys says, "Wyverns, they've got a they've got a lot of good treasure." No, come on, this is RuneQuest, not D and D. Come on, come on, we can do this. <laughs> so they went up and attacked this nest of of wyverns, just a couple of them. But wyverns are big dragonoid type critters with nasty. Uh, Tails full of, of, uh, of poison. Uh, and a couple of the characters got killed. And they finally got killed the, the wyverns. And the guy's going, where's the treasure? Now let's see. The, there's the bones of the last horse they stole over there. <laughs> uh, we took that out of the pasture. It doesn't seem to be any of stuff on it. Uh, let's see here. Um, <laughs> no. No, no, no treasure. <laughs> They're, you know, meat-eating animals. They go out and they, they grab them. Right. You want to get rid of them because they do nasty, nasty things to your herds. Uh, but, 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 no, it, but no hands. So why would they have rings? Thing? Uh, what are they going to spend coins on? So, uh, 
Yeah, you know how they take what they it, lose. You know that is interesting because I mean, really, that is that whole treasure type D and D was all. Right. It's based on that whole economy that was built on a certain style of play. Right. Which which is fine if that's the economy you want, but it's not realistic at all. So I see. No. I see you also uh, authored Elf Quest. I did. I was a big fan of the comics. <laughs> they were they were pretty amazing. So how'd that come about? Uh, basically, uh, Richard, Wendy, Phoebe, uh got hold of Greg. I, th I think they were looking for somebody to do a game, and they found they found Greg, and Greg took them to me. Uh, and as I say, I was a big fan, so. It just sort of became okay. Uh, Chaosium's doing the official Elfquest game, and there is apparently currently some talk with the PDs again that they may want another one. Are you serious? That's amazing. I, I did a couple things a little wrong because uh, I've been working on the new RuneQuest, the third edition, Avon Hillman, and I used some of the things from that which really didn't fit an Elfquest type game. Worrying about things like uh, hit locations and strike ranks probably was just too much. I don't, I don't know how many people who have played the game have just discarded that or not, but I wouldn't blame them if they did. Now, the game needed a somewhat simpler approach. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. Like a, a, straight, a straight BRP approach rather than trying, trying to hook in the more complex request stuff. But, you know, at the same time, I'm still pretty proud of the game. And, uh, it uh, it worked very well. Yeah, because that was a. I know we. I've, so I think the way it worked, the I think the way it worked was uh, we had. I think in our gaming group, I think one guy pretty much had bought most of the Chaosium stuff, but maybe didn't always run it. But that's one I think we wanted to run. I don't know that we ever actually did. Yeah. There's some minor character sheet with a wolf on it. Maybe a clue. You, you, I'll tell you though that you know we we had that. Uh, we also had uh, Ringworld, which was uh, I don't think you authored on that one. No, but that was absolutely same, same amazing. System, but I, I, I didn't author Yeah, I was I was shocked with even the 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 companion that came out with uh, for it was like probably one of the best written supplements I've ever seen. It was just. It's amazing the quality of stuff that Chaosium puts out. Yeah. So you also worked for Hero Games too. Yeah, I was one of the one of the reasons I left the Chaosium was I got uh, very involved with the Hero Games system like that. Uh, they used some of some they used some of my stuff and they used some of others, and uh, you know I liked it. And probably most important, the gaming group I played with were people who uh, were not necessarily chaos and devotees. They were willing to play test a bit for me, but mostly uh, they did, and they had gotten hooked into champions. And I played nothing but the hero system for about 15 years. You know, we used fantasy hero, we used uh, our own version uh, that we called uh, uh, Shadow Hero, I think, for a series of Shadowrun games. Oh, yeah. You also wrote the um, Robot Warrior, right? I did. Uh, 
theoretically, that was going to be me and George McDonald working together on it. He decided he'd much rather just uh, let me uh, do the whole thing and get the whole upfront money, which is fine. Uh, that's what we needed, in fact. Uh, and uh, that was fun. We had some interesting playtest games on that. It, we played a lot of here, but we never really played much of that, which I kind of regret. We had uh, a couple of interesting concepts that uh, I think probably could use a bit more work, but we're uh, we're good. And uh, at one at one point in one of our hero uh, hero system games, uh, one of the players came up with a a robot warrior pilot as his character. So there was our superhero team with the 30 foot tall robot. Yeah, it, it seemed like, cause that was probably the, I think probably one of the better, maybe one of the only like major implementations of the vehicle system from the hero system. I don't know that many, I think there's other later on, there may be people put some spaceships together, but I mean, as far as actually mm -hmm having core vehicles and doing stuff yeah. with vehicles. I think that's the only one I've ever recalled. But there were, there were also some big differences uh, because both were being developed at the same time. And I was not uh, in communication with the people who were doing the, let's, let's add vehicles. So uh, there are things like the, uh, Oh, the, the, the damage list is as you uh, damage the robot, your, uh, your your type damage got more and more different. And that uh, didn't have a lot to do with what heroes, but uh, nobody ever decided to do a new one and change it. So that's what we got. Yeah, I interviewed uh, Doug Cole. He does a lot of stuff for GURPS now, but... He talked about his youth that I guess they ran the, a lot of robot warriors, a lot. And I was kind of jealous. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so you, you did the elf quest. You also worked on the uh, thieves world. Yep. So the box set, the yep. 1981 box set. Yeah, that was uh, most of what I did was the room quest stuff for it. Uh, and I think I did the uh, uh, adventures for it, uh, which are only a couple, uh, and some of the write-ups on the characters. It's been a long time since I've looked at that box, but I think we basically had a write-up on all the characters, and then we gave the stats for each game system. So... Uh, so yeah, that was I a didn't. thing back in the day because I think even like Ice uh, bought the hero, uh, whatever that that pamphlet was, and they kind of tried to get both stats in the in the um, whatever right, that. both role minister and hero, yeah. And then I think other games would try and do that. I mean, what was your we, feeling? We did that with Superworld. We did that with Superworld. Yeah, uh, we got uh, at least one book has both champions. And villains and vigilantes, as well as Superworld uh, stats in it. And another one I think is just Superworld and Champions. Uh, 
and it's not a bad bad idea. It just adds a lot of extra paper that probably nobody's going to look at. Yeah, that's like the other system. Yeah, but it's one or two. It's like, does it, you know, because I think there are some pretty significant differences from you as a designer. Does that does it does it feel odd doing that, or does it feel like oh, it's a good thing to do, or does it not really matter to you? Uh, oh, I thought it was a good thing to do. Okay, but again, keep in mind that I was kind of doing a lot of hero system stuff. So, I the heroes were just down the peninsula from us, and uh, they had an interesting initial office. I think that they they had that office until they sold to uh the role master people but uh it was they had um, they shared the building two sets of offices uh with uh friendliness counselors friendliness counselors yes the cops would raid every three or four months <laughs> oh <laughs> right people are stressed they need some uh <laughs> Some nice friendliness, friendliness to relieve the stress. Right. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Chaosium just had to share share space with goats. Oh, really? Well, the initial Chaosium offices are, well, actually, the longstanding Chaosium offices, the ones that were being used all the time I was working there, uh, were, was a cottage, just two or three down, uh, two or three houses down the road from where Greg lived. And this was a setback from the road cottage. It had a couple of, it basically had a, uh, a, ground, a ground story and a basement story. And it was on a bit of a slope so you could get to the basement. Uh, and, uh, as things worked out, the production stuff all went into the basement and we creative types. Uh, occupied the uh, and the financial types, uh, which turned out some creative financing there. That's another story. <laughs> uh, but we uh, were uh, so anyway. The landlord, because we were renting it, uh, came by and said, oh, you know, you got to cut back all the shrubbery." And it was getting to be kind of a forest to get back and forth. And I had a big scythe that my wife Louise used as a model for death or whatever. Uh, and I brought that down, but uh, that only worked on the grass type stuff. And uh, we, had, we had relatively solid bushes and things. So we basically hired a gaggle of goats, uh, four or five goats. And after about five days, uh, the uh, yard was down to the nubbin on most of everything else and a couple of plants that goats don't like. Right. Very effective. Very effective. And the nice thing is that they're vegetarian, so their poop doesn't really stink a lot. We still have to clean it up, but at least it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't bad cleaning up. Yeah, the building. That's and our cottage industry there. There you go. Anyway. Literally. So you also worked on Stormbringer, like looks like multiple editions of Stormbringer. 
Uh, no, just that if, if I get credit in later editions because they're using the same stuff I put in there. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's it's like my credit on the uh, current version of uh, RuneQuest. Well, I did some small work on the combat system, which I don't know if they even used. But, you know, they're still using my basic system and everything. So. Oh, that's that's good. Some of it is actually my words from the like first edition. So uh, I am credited as the author of the So, so when you worked on the first edition of Stormbringer, yeah. Uh, so, how much of that did you do? Was it uh, a lot? Most of that was Ken Saint Andre. I mostly uh, reined him in a couple of times since Ken just goes wild if he has a chance. <laughs> um, <laughs> And he uh, and I introduced the the virtues for weapons and armor just to give the law people a half a chance against all these demons coming at them. Right. And I worked with him on the demons, but really that was mostly his stuff. Uh, we 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 split the uh, royalties for that two for one or two to one. He got two percent. I got one. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that's why you're rich today, right? Yeah, that's it. That's me just rolling in the buck. Did you Did you get a chance to uh, work with Michael Moorcock at all? No. No, he just uh, he just uh, said, "Yeah, that sounds like a good idea." I think Greg talked to him at a convention once. You know, you know the story of. How the uh, the Cthulhu and uh, Stormbringer Mythos stuff got into gods, demigods, and heroes. Oh, go ahead and tell me. Well, they did this. Uh, TSR did this gods, demigods, and heroes, and mostly they did Greek mythology, Norse, and so forth and so on. But they tossed in both Mildavaday, uh, Elric, and uh, Cthulhu, uh, Pantheon. <laughs> and, well, we, we had the licenses on those. The problem with Cthulhu is that there was no one owner of Lovecraft stuff. We basically had a license through the publisher's Arkham House to use anything they had. But at least, in theory, nobody really owned the rest of it. And Arkham House published a good chunk of it, but not all of it. So that was that was very iffy to try to put any kind of a case together on our ownership. Now, we had a solid ironclad contract with uh, Michael Moorcock. Uh, uh, signed on by his agent with his agreement and so forth. Of course, Gary Gygax had a letter that he sent to Michael Moorcock saying, hey, can we use your gods in this book? And his scrawled response, yeah, go for it, Michael Moorcock. So he had the, so he had the permission of Moorcock. The only person who could be sued was Moorcock, which is not a good plan 
if you're intending to publish stuff based on his work. Well, we came up with a deal saying that they would provide stats or, or allow stats for D&D and AD&D, which were two separate things at the time, uh, for Thieves World, and would put a thanks to the Chaosium for the use of the things. And that was the second edition of God's Semi-Gods and Heroes. Come time for a third edition, and I think it was Brian Bloom, who was actually one of the owners of TSR, as opposed to Gary Gygax, who was, uh, I think, a stockholder, lead editor, like that. But uh, Bloom said, no, uh, we do not want to acknowledge that there are any other game companies in the world. So he ripped the Mel uh, and the Google Gods out of the book and took the, the thanks to the Chaosian so only that second edition has that. Yeah, and I've got a copy of that, uh, which is really kind of neat. The thing is what, what I find, you know, kind of going back to games and what they, uh, with the core activity and what the mechanics allow. Or So I, when I start writing some stuff, I've been looking back at some of the, some of the deities. I've also started looking back at the, like, demons and write-ups and such. And I realized that if you go through the deities and demigods and even through like the, the even the monster manuals for for creatures, there's almost nothing in there that really talks about the personality or how to deal with them. Instead, what you got are stats and damage and they're a god of this without really any sort of it's like you just expect to go kill them. Like, I know that's probably not necessarily their intent, but well, it's like, well, uh, Jim Ward, lovely man. Uh, was the, was the writer of that, or the hit lead editor, or whatever he was doing, he was in charge of that book. And for his own D&D games, he was always doing something, and Odin attacks! So he had stats and everything for Odin. Okay. And you had to fight Odin. That makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, that was his attitude towards it. Sort of like, you know, well, everybody knows who would this. So that's not a problem. Uh, and uh, he, when he shows up, you'll kill him. So you don't need to know any backstory on it. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I can't quote that directly. I, I have never talked to Jim about that. Like that was two or yeah, so that's to me, it's like it, it's both, you know, because I was looking for maybe some inspiration for some deities. and But looking through it, it's like, there's really not to diss the days and then I got, cause there's still some really neat stuff to pull out of there. But I mean, but just as far as the deities go, it's like, it's kind of worthless to really say, you know, what do the worshipers do? What is their, you know, what sort of activities go? I mean, there's nothing. It's just so, it's just so cookie cutter. And, yep. you know, and I just think, yeah. And even well, like, even well, like with demons and like devils, you know, to me, the most interesting thing really isn't that they got resistance to this and they do that much damage, but like, how do they get to people? How do they manipulate societies or individuals? And what ways can you just use them in a way that characters will not be able to necessarily touch them, but they have to deal with them? Yeah. Yeah, that's tricky. Um, and I suppose if you ask Jim Ward, 
he would just say, well, everybody knows what they do. <laughs> yeah. So you, you also did a, um, you did super world, right? You took the, we never, we, we did play the, it's trouble with havoc is the, the module that I was remembering. Yeah. And that one had stats for other games. It, it didn't, I don't think it can, I think what the problem was, I, I don't, not to diss on the game, but I don't think it, it, I don't know. We played it much. I think we were playing champions. So I don't know that we ever over, I don't know if we ever gave it a fair shake. Well, well, you know, it was, uh, I think there were three adventures there. At least one of which I've used several times. It's a very neat concept. Uh, basically the, uh, spaceship coming out of the, uh, out of the glacier as the glacier melts. Yeah. And the American, Soviet, and uh, criminal teams that show up to try to get what they can out of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely Cold War uh, vibe there. So, yeah. so what you took is an ex- a system that was kind of, I guess, kind of make it maybe a little bit more of a universal system. The the I don't think it was called basic role playing at the time, but uh, oh yeah, it it's was basic role playing from the beginning. Okay, yeah. So Greg wrote the first 16, 16 bit page uh, pamphlet, which was supposed to be uh, uh, gamers, game store dealers were supposed to just toss it into the uh, toss it into the bag of stuff people were buying just so they could uh, get intrigued by it. Oh, okay. So was so. The idea then was to, I mean, how hard did you find it taking that system and, and turning it into a supers game? Well, not greatly hard. Um, I put some limits on it as to how powerful you could be. Uh, because, well, the basic thing is what Champions calls a killing attack is, a basic, is basically any attack. In super world right so i kind of toned down the toned down things uh i am uh and i'm still doing that because i'm actually trying to tie it even closer to the other brp games including you know, oh you want to play superheroes against cthulhu no problem yeah you have th- to get your cthulhu stats from cthulhu yeah. but, but uh, there they are I think what's hard with the supers, I mean, and I think even champions kind of falls in the same line. It's like, you know, the supers, the genre just it goes all over the map. And there's right. a, and I think as Doug Cole kind of pointed out, like he felt like GURPS does like low level stuff really good. Hero System yeah. does higher level stuff really good, but neither one does the opposite. Like GURPS doesn't do high level stuff and and he he felt that Hero system for lower level supers kind of fell apart a little bit. Well, I am. Um, say I'm trying to make it. Uh, also, trying to get away from the influence champions had on me from the first edition, because really, there are some things in there which is just sort of well, if you want everything a D six uh, is champions. Uh, so I'm getting away from that. Uh, but uh, so, but I'm really consciously limiting it. So that basically, if you had a party of rune lords and rune priests with lots of points to put behind their spells, 
they could probably go toe to toe with with the superhero. Right. And I think it's it's hard because like superheroes can go anywhere from being um, a very like like Nighthawk to yeah. you know to um, Thor or whatever. I mean, it's it's there's a quite right. a range yeah. of abilities. Right. And one of the one of the criticisms of Superworld is, you know, it's it's limited, so you can't go to those really high extremes. Right. My basic theory is, yeah, okay. Uh, you get plenty of, of high high damage, high uh, high action, w- without having to uh, juggle the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what's hard. I mean, and I think that's where if you just say, you know what, we're just handling this level of character, that's that's actually reasonable, because I think there's very few games that can figure out how to make, you know, Batman in the same league as Superman. Because it doesn't right. really make much sense. I mean, you can always do it with a point by system, like Champions or Super World. Uh, right. You just give, you just give the Batman all of the bells and whistles you can, armor piercing, yada 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 yada, and uh, seriously, he just stands up to Superman and slug it out. Yeah, I think what's happened um, some some newer systems they they actually they. I don't want to say simulations, but they become less simulation and they, they kind of attack it from a different angle. I think the advantage is it makes it much easier to have different kinds of characters, but the downside is it, it starts losing, I think, a little bit of the feel of playing a comic book character that's unique. You know what I mean? Yep. It's a hard genre, I think. I think if you just pick us, like you say, you know, we're just doing street level and a little bit above. I think that's a much more doable than, you know, or saying we're doing cosmic, you know, level. But it's that, that to me is just is a difficult. I think it's the same kind of thing even with D&D has had problems with, you know, with yeah. with levels of characters. It's like that thing I was talking about earlier, but uh, as you go up and you get stuff. And you get to trade out some of your stuff, much of which you've never used, for other stuff, which may be more useful or maybe not. Uh, and yeah, the last uh, I was playing a fourth edition D&D game, very interesting. I think it was called Zeitgeist. Uh, very kind of not quite into steampunk world. There's Pistols and uh, steam power ships around, but not. But uh, and everybody is a uh, an agent of the prince of this particular country. So you're, and so therefore you can trade stuff in and out of the arsenal of the police force. And then there were, we were in like 23rd level or something out of the 30. And then the game masters, and uh, this yada yada happens, and you, you stop this from happening, but the other two people, other two groups got theirs together. So the world has changed, and uh, you, uh, your characters have changed. And at which point, about half of us said, wait a minute. <laughs> So 23, 23 levels going on with this character. 
getting it together, and all of a sudden you you want to just change this out completely? No, I don't think so. Wrong. And of course, this was just as the COVID was hit, was hitting and so forth. And we're just getting into a. I, th I think yeah, we, we had played a couple of games online. Yeah, just no, I don't think so. Hmm. It's just too much crap to keep track of. Can't I do? Oh no, that's the thing I discarded five levels ago. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I used to be able to walk on water, but no, everybody said gliding was what I wanted. Now we're in a place with no air currents whatsoever. Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. So you played fourth edition more fairly recently then. I've never played fourth edition. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would well, like to. I would like to play in a game. I don't want to necessarily play in a, a campaign, but I, I've heard it's great for combat. It's as far as fun combats. It does a great job. Yeah. It's it's basically uh, no matter what you've taken, you've got something you can do every turn. You're not the you're not the magician hiding in the corner, right? Having either expended your one magic missile or waiting for the chance to use your one magic missile do two points of damage to somebody which may be vile. Uh, and but you know say there's something you can do every time, including area stuff and individual player stuff. And really the character classes are kind of just the uh, just the uh, embellishment. The, yes, I am a martial arts monk dwarf. So I was playing. Uh, and pretty much it was, you know, you go up and you pound on somebody. Okay. So, so uh, it's kind of cool. So you're playing like uh, Puck from, uh, um, from, um, from a comic, uh, Marvel comic, uh, the Canadian team. Yeah, Puck. Puck, yeah. Yeah. Based actually on a champion's character, a friend of mine played. But the the dwarf and so forth, yeah, that's, that's kind of Puck. Hmm. That's interesting. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think as far as the, the Echo system, which it, it works, I think a lot of people consider fourth edition like one of the best designed games. I mean, for doing what it does. Yeah. It, it doesn't do anything else well, but what it does, it does very well. And, you know, scenarios are basically... You 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 got the mooks and you've got the first level bad guys, the second level bad guys, the third level bad guys, the underboss bad guy. You know, it's a video game. You're working your way up up, up the ladder to the uh, to the big guy. Yeah, I think that's kind of where. So, like with the hero system, so at fifth edition, uh, they success. I think they end up selling their IP to a computer game company for was it like. They end up like City's a hero, but they did a champions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, champions online. Yeah. Yeah, champions online. But or I think where they kind of to me where they went wrong is they probably should have simplified the system. Instead, they kind of didn't. And I don't think it ever really I don't think it really helped them as much as they thought. I, I, they, you know, put together a character based on a V and V character, you know, where you're rolling yourself. You know. Uh and I uh Marched on there and got to the middle of the fight. Was not really sure what I was doing. And, uh, 
And then I was getting on there and getting into a fight because apparently the other guy had knocked me out of the previous one. Oh. And uh, and it looked like it was like most of these computer games, uh, taking up entirely too much time. Yeah, I I pretty much had to quit computer games because I just felt I didn't have self control. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah, me too. I uh, I still occasionally bring up Master of Orion, which is my favorite strategic space game. And it's uh, the most recent version of it, which was two or three years ago, solves a lot of problems and then uh, left a lot of things hanging. I basically playing it at the same setting ever since. So what things are you working on now? Super World 2 is what I'm working on. Super World 2. Uh, a scenario for RuneQuest in Goliath. Uh, let's see. What else am I doing? Oh, it seems to me there's something. Oh, that's right. My original name got made by a thing I did called the Parent Conventions which were an explication of the, D of the original D&D &D rules to make them, as far as we were concerned, more playable. Okay. And I did this for a uh, convention, the first Dundrakon convention. But a lot of people showed up at that Dundrakon convention that were like from LA and other states else. So they left with the parent conventions in hand, published them in various places, giving me full credit. Uh, and so when we were selling RuneQuest, I uh, wandered off to see what was happening in the various seminars. And there was a seminar on how to improve gameplay or something like that. And I sat down in the back and it was full of people like Dave Arneson and, and Mark Miller, the people who did those early games. And the moderator came by and saw me and said, I think you belong up there and hauled me on stage and introduced me as the author of the Parent Convention. And I'm going, I'm in Ann Arbor. How did the Parent Convention get here? But apparently they had. And that, that's, that's actually been one of my, my intros to, to the uh, to the gaming industry, uh, and my uh, and they were they were the parent conventions mostly because I typed them up. Okay. Well, you know, several people had contributed, but you know, I put them together. <laughs> thank you, Eric. which is kind of what I did with Runequest. Uh, and uh, so uh, I've got a publisher. He published a game I did. Oh, let's see. I think they got it right here. Colonial Troopers. Oh, neat. It's essentially a, this is one of those OSR games, original system rules. Yeah. So it's based on the original D&D. And it's sort of, yes, uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson have been reading Heinlein and Anderson and people. It's, it's open. So, you know, it's got character classes and uh, advancements and, and things you get with each character class. The whole original system rules. Uh, I think it works out pretty good. 
uh, and uh, the same publisher wants to publish the parent conventions. Oh, neat. And the, the guys, Thomas Denmark, uh, he did a lot of magic cards, a lot of other artwork. Uh, you know, and this is basically, I, while I was working on this, I told people about it. And he started getting, oh, where's the, you know, where, where's the uh, Colonial Troopers and so forth. So he rushed it out. There were a couple of problems, which have been fixed since. Uh, and uh, apparently it does pretty well. Oh, neat. So, uh, so for the for the uh, super world, so uh, so is there going to be a, like a lot? Of, are you like rewriting everything? You just going through and editing a few things, or what's what's your process for super world? Um, trying to uh, make the uh, uh, trying to stabilize the game system a bit more. There were times when, you know, two months after I'd done one power, I was doing another power that was similar and came up with an entirely different system for it. Oh, okay. Or, or what I thought I remembered from that system, but it really wasn't for that system. So we're, getting, we're trying to catch all of those, adding a bunch more, uh, combining the original ones and the stuff from the Super World Companion. And, uh, oh, but mostly, and the, the combat system changing a little bit. But, you know, probably the third book just go out as is. And as it happens, I'm trying to keep things so that the characters that are available are uh, usable with the new system. It's not really the same thing exactly, but all the dice rolled and so forth come out to the same thing. So uh, are you guys going to do it as a box set or are you going to do it as just a book or? Um, right now, I'm not sure. I was made the, I am, the Chaosium's consultant, but they never consult me. <laughs> uh, and I sort of took this on as my project, but I, I don't even have a go ahead on it. I know a couple of the uh, couple of the head honchos are very keen on it, on it happening, but uh, mostly I'm doing it as a labor of love. Yeah. But. I am thinking what will probably happen is that it will uh, come, out, come out as a Kickstarter. Yep. And whether it's a box and so forth, then it depends on that. Yeah, it's a good way of, of, of funding things. Uh, it just makes it a lot easier for, it takes a lot of the risk out of publishing. Yeah, the, the Chaosium... Uh, Kickstarted the re reprinting of like first and second edition request, uh, along with some tables and so forth to bring it up to stuff. Uh, and uh, when they decided just to do the new one, they figured, no, we got enough money for it, uh, and just published it. 
Right. And it's doing very well. Well, good. Yeah, I think there's it's it's interesting how I think for a while, I mean, especially in the nineties and maybe early two thousand, it felt like everything except D and D was dying. And then there's just been such a resurgence on and uh, I think probably a lot of people are a well, I'm a little younger than you, but I think a lot of people got out of gaming for a while and then they came back and a lot of people are nostalgic and, and also playing, not just nostalgic, but also, you know, playing games too and want want to have some of the well, things the they computer, loved. Computer and, and, and uh, platform games were the big thing. Uh, and I think a lot of people who have been doing those for 20 years are going, yeah, well, why don't we try some dice rolling again? <laughs> yes. You know, it's fun getting up to 172nd level and devastating the moon or something, but, you know. Yeah, no, I, and I can see the appeal because you can play those anytime. So you got nothing going on for 20 minutes or half an hour, an hour. You just boot it up and turn moving. Excuse me. Getting my sleep last night. Or this morning, I should say. <laughs> Whatever it was. Well, I, th- I think we're probably hitting the time space continuum, uh, Steve. I probably ought to, probably about time, probably let you go and, and get on with your life. Yes. yes. But uh, thank you. It's been very uh, been enjoyable going over the old story. Yeah. And if you ever want to come back on, just let me know. And it's been a, it's been a pleasure.